This has been a great series in Malachi. For, for those of you who have been here over the last few weeks, or maybe you've just you know been here hit and miss because of the summer, um, you know we're working our way through Malachi. We like to take a book of the Bible and start chapter 1, verse 1, and work our way all the way through it. Um, and by doing so, we believe we're preaching the full counsel of God. We're not picking and choosing. That's not a criticism on churches that do it differently. This is just our conviction that if we start at the beginning of the book and we preach all the way through it, no one can ever blame us as a church for skipping over difficult uh, concepts, passages, ideas. Uh, and today will be one of those days. So if there was a chance for me to skip this, um, the tendency may have been for me just to jump over this passage. But because we love God's word and truly we see and believe what God is saying here, we, we just go right through some things that may be uncomfortable for some people to hear or uh, a challenge for some preachers to preach, including myself. Uh, I'm not saying I'm past being challenged by passages, but we're glad uh, that you're here. We're glad that we're working our way through Malachi. If you've been here, I hope you've been encouraged um, by what we've been talking about. And this week, uh, Pastor Kevin and Pastor Brian are team teaching down there. Uh, it's one of the things we really love to do, get two pastors up here, do it a little more conversational. Uh, I know it doesn't happen up here much with Dave only being quarter time, um, but it's a lot of fun. So the prep this week, though, was the three of us. And it was a lot of fun talking about a difficult passage together. And, and so one of the things that Pastor Brian brought to the table was really cool. He was bringing a phrase from the 1930s, the 1940s. Uh, he, he brought it in one morning when we were getting together. And, and it, it was the idea or the phrase, put up or shut up. So I don't know if shut up's a bad word in your house. And I apologize if it is, because it kind of was in ours when our kids were younger. But he brought in this phrase, put up or shut up. How many of you guys have heard, heard about that, that phrase, right? Um, it, it, it's the idea of backing up your beliefs with action, right? That makes sense though. I mean, that's a really, really, uh, good way to put it. Put your money where your mouth is. How many of you have heard that one? I mean, again, same sort of idea. If you say you believe something or you're supportive of something, you need to be there through your finances, through your actions, etc., etc. And, and so today, uh, this passage, Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12, are on money, right? One of the things that pastors want to talk about the least. And yet, you know what? After putting in the study this week, after putting in the time this week, I was excited to bring what I believe is God's message to all of us um, to you this morning. So I'm not afraid right now. Uh, and I told the worship team, if you guys start throwing things at me to get up here quick and get the music going, and we'll just get into the second half of worship, but I don't think that'll happen. I think you guys are here to hear what God has to say to you, not what I have to say, but what God is having to say to you um, this morning. So as we were talking this week, we were talking about money and 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 and. Pastor Brian, Pastor Kevin, and myself, we really were challenged this week. Gwen and I, uh, we've always been just kind of open and honest, especially with our kids, but really with anyone who will listen about uh, 
finances, uh, also about really pretty much anything in life because we believe that we've been called to that. But finances, we didn't make the wisest decisions through the first 20 years of our marriage, right? Okay, so we, we, we were, we were kind of just living like everybody lives. And we thought that was normal. We thought that was okay. And I'm not here this morning to promote Dave Ramsey or financial peace, even though I just got finished teaching that. And I do believe in a lot of the stuff that he puts forward. But money is a huge uh, area in, in people's lives that causes a lot of stress. I will not ask any of you to raise your hand, but I know for Gwen and I, one of the things we fought over the most through those first 20 years of our marriage was finances, right? You you always, you, you think, man, this next promotion, this next raise, this next will take us to where we need to be. And yet every time you get that raise or that promotion that brings you more money, you find a way to spend it, right? And, and, and we were just like everybody else, just spending money willy-nilly. We didn't have priorities. We weren't taking care. Uh, we didn't use wise, wise stewardship of what God had given us or was giving us. And so this week, as we were talking, the three of us, about just how we've worked through some of those things, for us, it was taking the, the Financial Peace University class about eight or nine years ago, where we finally got a good grip on our finances. Now, by the grace of God, Gwen and I met at Bible College, we started out giving to the Lord from day one. The problem was we were not as wise with our 90%-ish then you know what I'm saying, then then that we should be, right? So we we were we were struggling more on that side than really what we decided we would give to the Lord. And, and, and so this week as we talked about stewardship and about the other 90, we like to call it, even though we don't believe that uh, the tithe necessarily means 10%, and we'll get to that in a few minutes, but we were talking about the other 90. It's like, what do we do with that? And are we being responsible to God's blessing, the way God takes care of us with that other 90%? Is that showing the world around us, our family, that our faith is in the right place? Are we backing up our faith with everything or just the amount that we feel we've been convicted by the Lord to give, let's say, on a Sunday morning? So that conversation, I mean, we had so many good conversations this week, but it was one of those things that we were talking about is really a challenge. Almost every time, I could almost say every time I've counseled over the last 10 years, married couples who are fighting, heading towards divorce, um, you know, on the brink of that, whatever it might be, money plays a big part in it, even if they don't realize it up front. Uh, and, and so as we peel away the onion, the layers, we find that definitely is one of the layers and usually it's towards the core. So this is something that people do struggle with. And so if that's you this morning, I want to invite you into this passage and, and say that God is going to give us some insight on how to use our finances, all of them, to really reflect the heart of our savior, which is what we really want. And so today... As we've been looking at Malachi, we know there's been a ton of questions being asked. If you've been here, every week we're looking at the questions. And this week, is my money where my faith is? And and even though that's a a good question and I'll stand by it, 
I would answer you that we can all say yes right now. Um, because wherever you're spending your money is what you're placing your faith or your belief system in. And so maybe a better question this week would be, is my faith where it should be, right? Am I spending my energy, my time, my money in the right place? And, and again, that'll play out through this passage here. And, and so throughout the first few chapters of Malachi, we've seen the prophet coming out and, and God, because he quotes God, saying, stop doing this. Remember, it's blatant sin. First, it was about sacrifices. The, the children of Israel had come home after an exile, and, and they were bringing sacrifices to the temple, but they weren't bringing the best. They were bringing lame They were bringing blind, they were bringing dead animals to the temple. And what they were called to do was to bring up the best. And and the, 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 the priests were accepting that. So not only were the people sinning, but the priests were sinning. They were saying, ah, whatever, that's roadkill, bring it in, we'll sacrifice it. And this made God upset. He was frustrated by this. And so Malachi, through the words God was giving him, was calling out active or blatant sin. Stop doing these things. But now this week he's going to start addressing more of a a passive sin. Okay? This is something that you're not doing that you need to do. And, And so don't forget that even though we look at it by verses, by chapters, this is one continuous address in the book of Malachi. The Lord has has called out the wicked behavior in his people, starting with the priesthood, and then the everyday Jewish people... These are the things that you're doing wrong. And now I'm going to call on you to do something that you need to be doing that you're not. And so we're going to jump right in to to the the passage here. If you're following along, great. We have Bibles on the back table. If you don't own a Bible, I would invite you even now to get up, walk back there, grab a Bible and make that your own. Let it be a gift from us to you. But we'll also have the verses up here on the screen. Starting in verse 6. It says, For I, the Lord, do not change... Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Remember my character, God is saying, right? I do not change. My end of the covenant with you, the agreement with you, is rock solid. I'm not going to change. You have, and you continue to, and you come back, and then you go away again. If you were to use, if you want to impress some of your, your, your friends, you could use this phrase, the immutability of God. God is immutable. That means he does not change. You and I are very mutable, right? We, we're mutable. Look it up. It's a real word. We don't use it much, but it means we do change. So God is immutable. He does not change, right? He makes a covenant. He stands true to it. You and I are mutable. We change. We change our minds all the time. Now, sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes it's okay or it's neutral. And sometimes it's a bad thing. For example, last week or two weeks ago, trying to get this straight here, we looked at divorce. And and God was calling out his children on divorcing their Jewish wives, the children of Israel, leaving their wives for a woman... In the land that was a foreigner because their family owned land. So they broke up or dumped or divorced their wife of their youth for another woman to try to increase in their land or in their money. 
right? And, and God's like, stop doing this. What in the world are you doing? And he calls people out on that. And we know that the application of that hits home here in the 21st century, right? The view of divorce, the view of marriage, I should say, uh, divorce is, is more like the world's than like what God has called us to do. And we have, we find people in the church divorcing their spouse for non-biblical reasons. Now there are reasons in scripture that, that are, are reasons that you should leave that spouse. But we find even in the church, people just saying, I'm ready for something different. I want a new model. I don't love this person anymore. Uh, and, and again, we'll talk more about that again later. Uh, there's another chance to talk about marriage and divorce. But we had talked about that already. Again, another example of us changing our mind, and yet we know that God doesn't. When we enter the covenant of marriage as two Christians before God and these witnesses, we are committing to that person, right? For better or worse. For richer, for poorer, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You don't get to just decide, hey, I'm out. I'm done. I don't want this anymore. And, and go. And God is part of that union. When I do my pre-marriage counseling, if they're both believers, I'm, I'm reminding them, this isn't just between you two and in front of your family and friends. This is between you two and God, right? And, and this is a covenant. It's a covenant of marriage. God is faithful And yet we as humans have showed ourselves over and over and over again as one who will change really for no reason at all. We'll break promises. We'll break covenants, et cetera, et cetera. And so here we see God um, coming out and saying, I do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I don't break my covenant. In the midst of the rebuke that's going on in Malachi, God is showing them and reminding them of his great mercy and his love for them. You're not consumed. I did not destroy you, right? Even though you might have deserved it. You're faithless, and yet I'm faithful. And again, that's because God does not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word stands true. And it will stand forever. Therefore, the Lord says, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. Now, if you've been here for the first few weeks, you'll remember uh, that God and Malachi have been talking about the children of Israel, the promise, the covenant, my love for you, come back to me. And yet here, the word changes of who they are children of. O children of Jacob. Remember who you are. You're a covenant people. You you are blessed by this covenant that you have with me. Years ago, God says, I committed to blessing you if you live for me. Okay? That's what God says here. God had the right to change his mind, to punish, or to consume these people because they were cheating on him. Right? They were not doing what God had called them to do. They had broken their covenant agreement. They were living in continued sin. But God held true to his word. He was faithful. He could have consumed them, but he did not. God is gracious with them and gracious with us under the new covenant of grace. 
And just as it was for Israel, it is for us today under the new covenant. God lavishes mercy and grace and patience onto sinful people who fail often. And aren't you thankful for that fact? As we're growing to become more like Jesus Christ, that God is, is patient with us? I know that I am. Now, every time I've found myself coming out of a, a season maybe of rebellion or sin or, or frustration with God's promises and maybe the, the way things are playing out in my life, I rejoice in the fact that God doesn't change. That just because I've been in a rough time, a rough season, questioning that God has stayed true. If my salvation depended upon my performance, God would have consumed me a long time ago, right? It, but praise God, it doesn't. Grace bestowed to us because of Jesus Christ. And it's that great grace that drives me, that makes me want to correct my actions, show my gratitude, right? And, and so here... Um, when I was looking at this and I was thinking about that, in those tough times, in those seasons of rebellion, I don't reflect the name Christian very well, right? Mark Miller places faith in Jesus Christ. He is a Christian. He is a Christ follower. He is a little Christ. And yet I don't always reflect that. And I think that's what's going on here. That's what God is calling the children of Jacob out on. You are not acting like Israel, my covenant children. You are acting like Jacob before I changed his name, before I made a covenant with him. And so for you and I, we might breeze right by this, but for the children of Israel, when they heard this, they would have perked up their ears and been like, ah, this is different. This is God calling us out on something. And Malachi definitely knew that. He calls them, oh, children of Israel, this would, would hearken them back to all the stories that we read about in the Old Testament, they had lived and the verbal tradition had been passed down. Jacob was the name that was changed to Israel. And so when God calls them out as being children of Jacob, they would have snapped to attention. I don't have a good snap. It, it barely works. Mine's broken. Some of you guys have good snaps. You know, the one that can, can silence a room. That's not me, right? But God's trying to get their attention here. Jacob met one who strives with God. And that's not a good thing, right? And, and that's what they're being called back to. Israel says, let, or means let God prevail. You're the children of Israel, the one that I've made my covenant with. You're the one that will prevail, not because of you, but because of me. God gave him a new identity, Jacob, to be Israel, the father of his people. And here, at this point of history, they are not reflecting their new name. And like I said to you earlier, if you're in a season of sin or rebellion or not walking with the Lord, you have not lost your salvation, but you may not be living up to your name Christian very well. And that's what they're being called out on here. Now, as I was processing through this this week, I was thinking, uh, parents, do you have names for your children? Right? You have, let, let me be a little more clear. I'll use Noah as the example because he's in Ohio. 
right? So he's married. He's at church. Well, by now he's probably home. They're probably on their way home or home. So he won't know that I'm using him as an example here. And and I'll use my wife because she's probably now getting the food for after church that she prepares for you guys, getting that ready. So she's not in the room either. So this is pretty safe. When, when Gwen would say something to Noah, like, I love you. I'm proud of you or engage in normal conversation, she would call him Noah. That's his given name. We love Noah. We loved his name. Uh, We love everything about him, right? So Noah, I love you. Now, Noah Mark would come out when mom was meaning, don't you make me say your name again, right? Noah Mark. So when he would hear Noah Mark, he knew to snap to attention, Don't make me tell you again. Don't make me remind you. Don't make me warn you, right? Noah, I love you. Noah Mark, listen up. And if it was Noah Mark Miller, Noah knew, wait till your dad gets home. (laughs) Right now, now again, Gwen Gwen was was able to carry out, obviously, discipline and, and teaching. But if it was Noah Mark Miller, that was something he had gone a little too far, whether with his brother Ethan or, or Cole or, or whatever might have happened. It was a wait till your dad gets home. And here God is saying, children of Jacob, and he wants them to say, no, no, no. We're no longer children of Jacob. We're children of Israel. We're children of the covenant. And these are people, if you haven't been with us through these first few weeks, they have been hearing hard word after hard word after hard word. And here God's saying, I've got more for you. So this is God about to hit them between their eyes on this specific offense. Okay, we're going to have to kind of get going on this or you're going to be here all day and I don't want that to happen. So picking up here in verse 7. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God, yet you are robbing me? But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and your contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. We're going to pause there. we got a, a little bit of stuff to go over in this passage here. And I, and I pray right now that you, you will just keep your heart and your mind open to what God has to say to you this morning. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. God talking to his children. There was a consistent trend, a pattern of turning aside from God's statutes. I don't need to obey you. I can do whatever I want to. They did not keep the commandments of God. And God says, return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Remember that the old covenant was a transactional one. If you obey me, then I can do this for you. You obey me, I will bless you. You disobey, I will curse you. They just came out of an exile. That exile was because they were disobedient. God allowed for another nation, actually multiple nations, to come in and disperse his people. Why? Because he loved them. Do you believe that discipline is because the father or the parental unit loves their child? 
I hope you're saying yes. Well, that's God here, right? Sorry, I got to distracted there. The, the new covenant is a little bit different. After that, God says, you obey and I bless. You disobey. He doesn't curse us, but he disciplines us. Your legal standing stays the same. I'm not going to curse you, but I will withhold blessing. I will discipline. God calls his people to return to him. That word literally translated is repent. It's an about face. It's 180 degrees in the opposite direction. This is vital today also. We as Christians have been called to place our faith in Jesus Christ, the cross, the tomb, the empty tomb, right? The whole gospel. But then we need to repent and turn from what we are doing. Turn from our sin, right? The salvation is because of Jesus Christ, but we've been called to do better and greater things by his power. And it means turning around and running away from what we used to call normal. It's vital. We're supposed to repent and confess. Reminded us of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When we're heading in the wrong direction, we need to stop. We need to confess it. We need to return to God. We need to repent and go back the other way. As a new covenant believer, you are always forgiven. Once and for all, Jesus Christ on the cross. However, if you're living in sin, your relationship with God can and will suffer. Repentance needs to be a regular part of your life. When you fall short, you need to turn away from that and run back to God. And the good thing is God doesn't go anywhere. He's right there. So it doesn't take long. When you turn to him, he is right there waiting for you. This is part of the disciples path that we talk about all the time. So this is a repeat, right? Every time we do something, we need to do it again. Not just a one-time thing. We need to return. Draw near. James 4, 8. Looks like we're going to go into James next. The next book we're going to do is James, it looks like. But James 4, 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Right? James isn't holding back. He's telling you who you are. And you know how he knows this? Because he is the same. We need God in our life. God never leaves us, right? So turn from your sin, and he's right here. He's waiting right here. Sin, sin, sin. Oh, I shouldn't have done that. Confess, repent. Oh, God, you're right here. I don't have to run after you. I don't have a long ways to go. You are with me, right? And that's what it's got to be. That visual needs to be there. Now, sadly, the Israelites don't even know they've strayed. Look what they said. How shall we return? They asked. And I think the New Living uh, Testament, we use the English Standard Version. We love this translation. But I think the New Living Testament gets it right here. Because they continue on and they say... We never strayed. So here Israel says, how shall we return? We've never strayed. And of course, God's not going to let them get away with that. Because here again, we see Israel in in an indignant way. Like, we haven't strayed. We haven't sinned. Tell us how we've done you wrong, God. And he says, okay, I will. You're robbing me. 
And again, in this indignance, right, almost ignorance, they respond, how have we robbed you? Like, okay, you say we've robbed you. Tell us how. And God replies here with your tithes and your offerings. The Israelites had obligations to God for his goodness in choosing them as a nation. That's spelled out in the Old Testament. We've talked about it before. We can talk about it again sometime. But the tithe, the concept, the idea of the tithe is 10% of their income, 10% of their worth every year was given to God. The best, the first. And again, if you're sitting through series on this or going through it, we can argue that it was actually up closer to 23% or 24% by the time they paid all these other taxes, temple taxes, et cetera, et cetera. The 10% was an initial gift right off the top, right? And, and so that's where we get that word tithe, okay? And, and we remember when we talked about the Levites, the priesthood. God gave 11 of the 12 tribes land and one of the tribes, the Levites, he gave a privilege and responsibility of the priesthood. So they would be the priests who would be before the Lord on behalf of the people. They would teach, perform sacrifices and care for people in need. That was the Old Testament priests. The tithe was given to them. The law that was laid out by God required every Israelite to give 10% of their income to keep up the temple and to provide for the Levites, the priests. Deuteronomy 14.29 says, And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance, he has no land, right? No portion or inheritance with you. And the sojourners, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord, your God, may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. Not only were the Levites provided for with this tenth, but the sojourner and the orphans and the widows. This was ministry. This is what was supposed to be going on in Israel by the tithe that was given. They could take care of people who were in need, right? Real ministry is happening due to this gift, this tithe. And notice at the end, God promises to bless the Israelites in all the work of their hands when they do give. But the Israelites had not been keeping their end of the covenant, right? You are cursed with a curse for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Now, it seems that the whole nation had gotten lazy, greedy, complacent in their sin. They didn't care. We were talking about this with the, with the offerings, bringing blind or lame. Yeah, this one's got a broken leg. Let's bring that for the offering. Or even dead. Oh, I came outside. It's dead. Let's bring it to the, to the uh, you know, temple really quick and we can sacrifice this. When God had called them to bring the best. And so God says that by not giving your tithe, you are robbing him. So he commands them, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. That there may be food in my house. The beauty of God's grace is displayed in these next few verses that we're going to look at to end this sermon this morning. He not only requires the 10% from them. But you're going to see that in his love and in his mercy and in his grace, he is going to make a promise that accompanies it. So let's pick up here and finish out uh, the second half of verse 10 through verse 12. 
and thereby put me to the test, says God. Says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Very important word. We're going to get back to it. The word there is not want. It is need. Okay. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight says the Lord of hosts. So God says, put me to the test. We have talked about other times, other places in scripture where people test the Lord and it doesn't end up going well for him. Okay. But here in In this passage, God says, put me to the test in this area. Go ahead and test me. See if I won't provide for you. This is huge. And God's promise here is big. It says, I will open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now, what this is not, what I will not sit up here and say is, if you give to the church... Like I think we are all called to, not just in this passage, but throughout scripture, and we can do a whole sermon series on it, right? And we won't today, but I, I I will not say you will be blessed. You will be prosper. You know, you will, it's not going to, you're going to, you're going to have so much money. You're not going to know what to do. You're going to prosper, right? This is not a health, wealth, and prosperity sermon. And I don't think it's anywhere in scripture that would point you towards that, right? I'm pretty sure that every Jew would have loved for God to, had, if he had offered, hey, if you bring your tenth, I'm going to give you health, right? You're not going to be sick at all. I'm going to give you all the wealth that you need. I'm going I'm to make you prosper among the people. Health, wealth, and prosperity, right? No. That's a false doctrine that, that creeps out here today, right? And, 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 and it does even in some prominent churches, And that's not what God is saying here. If you give to the church, he doesn't promise to make you healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And if you're hearing that, I can't find it in scripture. Let's have a conversation. I would say flee from that kind of teaching. But what does he promise here? What does he promise to his people? And then I believe to you and I today. He promises that what they need will be provided for, not their every want, their need. And how will God do this? Agriculture is, you know, society, right? What does he say here? I'm going to open up the windows of heaven. This is literally saying, I will cause it to rain in the desert for my people so that they can grow their crops. I will take care of your needs trust me. I will open up the windows of heaven. This isn't money. This isn't cars. This isn't mansions falling out of the sky, right? This is feeding their crops. God says he will rebuke the devourer. The understanding in this day and age and what it should be today is about the insects and other animals and other things that might happen to their crops. Again, This doesn't apply to everything else that they may want. This is about their needs. He's going to rebuke the devourer, likely referring to pestilence, so that the Israelites' fruit, 
will not be destroyed. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear. God says, do what I ask and I will take care of you. Okay, who makes this promise? The Lord of hosts. This refers to God's power and his majesty. He commands the armies of heaven and he commands nature itself, including weather, including pestilence. This is a working covenant that God has with his people, right? Live in the covenant that I have laid out for you. Now, a a conviction that I fell under this week is all my belongings belong to God. And I need to live in light of that. I can say it. It's easy for me to have a conversation to you and say it. But do do, do I live that way? When I make life decisions, do they demonstrate this kind of allegiance to God, right? In my finances, do I, do I put my trust and my faith in him? As we were looking at this, the proof again is put your money where your faith is. Put your money where your mouth is. Where is my faith supposed to be? Not where is it now? Right? And, and I think that's what God is challenging us to is to, to look at our faith and get it to where it should be. Because the result then here in this passage is then all the nations will call you blessed. Right? God talks about this multiple times, even in Malachi, but in other books too. People will look at you and see me. That's what God tells the nation of Israel. They're going to call you blessed. They're going to praise my name. Isn't that what we try to encourage each other to do all the time? Be the kind of people that live their life in such a way that even if somebody doesn't know you're a Christian, they'll look at you and say, what is it, what's special about that person? Why does that person always have a smile on their face? Why is that person always looking for need and then filling that need? That's who you and I are called to be. Let's be that person. And that's what God is calling his children here to be. You need to be who I've called you to be and reflect me so that when the nations look at you, they're going to call you blessed. I will take care of you. Do what I have asked you to do. So what does this mean for us today? As you're sitting out there, there may be a ton of questions going through your mind, and I'm not going to be able to answer them all today. I'll meet with any one of you, grab a coffee with you, we can have conversations, and I would love that. But some of those questions might be going around in your head. Okay, hey, I've heard of tithe, and I've, I know you guys take offerings, and I, I'm a newer Christian, or I've never really been exposed to it. I don't even know what a tithe is. I don't know what offering is. Uh, I'm kind of confused on this whole thing, right? When you talk about your whole finances, right? A a gift to God, but then this other 90% and and living a life that pleases God with that 90%, what is that? We know we've talked about Jesus raising the bar. We talked about that last week um, when we were talking about divorce. That the law for them was do not commit adultery, period. What did Jesus do in the New Testament? He said, I'm going to raise the bar. I'm going to say, don't even look lustfully at a woman in your heart. If you do, you've committed adultery. Jesus raises the bar. Well, if the commandment here is a tithe given to God, 10%, do you think Jesus is going to abolish that in the New Testament? All of a sudden now, we don't need to be generous with our money. We don't need to give to the church or to other organizations. No, the pattern we've seen from Jesus in the New Testament is to raise that bar. 
So in light of that, what should that look like? This whole idea of stewardship. I understand giving some to the church, but what about my other 90%? Isn't that for me to do whatever I want to with it? Now you're telling me I got to be a steward of all. And then, of course, some of you may be sitting out there going, man, God's tugging on my heart. This resonates with me. I don't even know where to begin. And the idea of sitting in front of somebody and being vulnerable about where I am, either in my thought process or in my checkbook, scares me to death. Well, you know what? For Gwen and I to go to financial peace eight years ago and to be vulnerable scared us to death. And that I will tell you, we don't fight about money anymore. We don't fight about a lot of things because, again, I think a lot of our fights from our first 20 years were because there was that money thing hanging over our heads. So if you find yourself today in a place where your finances are out of control, you might need help. Don't live for that next raise or that next promotion. Get help now. And we're here to help you with that. What's the timeless principles that we can look for and live out? And of course, first we know this is a matter of your heart. If somebody comes to me and says, I've never given before, what do I give? And I say, that's between you and the Lord. This is a heart thing. I can give you some strategies, some ideas, but this is between you and God. God is honored by our heart of appreciation, thankfulness, recognition that we are just stewards of all of his stuff right? It's not just my money that I can give a little bit to God. God desires us for you and I to be generous in our giving and sacrificial. So for some of us today, we might have some heart work to do. We might need to work on this because I look at all the things that I've earned as mine and I'm going to hold on to those. And I got a lot of concerns, Pastor Mark, that you don't know about. I got a lot of worries. I got a lot of plans. I don't have much money. God's saying he wants you. He wants your heart. Once the heart and the attitude, the perspective, once all that is proper, then then we got to still address the practical side of these words that God gave us. And here we see God is calling them out on a lack of obedience and trust. And I think that that's applicable to you and I today. 10% was the Old Testament concept. So that's easy to dismiss and say that was Old Testament. But we know that God has called us to live generously, sacrificially, So even though there's not a percentage that's given in the New Testament, I think that we can be challenged by what Jesus did say about things. The giving, the idea, the concept of giving is not dismissed in the New Testament. As we were talking this week, like I said, pastors really don't enjoy speaking on giving and where people are or aren't. So it's always tough when people say, hey, so where should we begin? How should we start? What's a good percentage of what we should give? And so the three of us talking this week, uh, we decided if we had to throw down a number, we probably would go back to what God originally laid out and say, that's a decent benchmark to start with, to consider. But you have to ask God, not me, but God, 
is 10% generous or sacrificial? If every person in the GraceWorks Church, we were just talking about the two campuses, gave 10%, picture what the kingdom impact could be. And that's why I challenge you, even when we're not talking about money, especially when we're not talking about money, I challenge you to decide if the GraceWorks Church is doing things in the community and around the world for the gospel that you buy into, that you want to be a part of. And if we're not, challenge us to grow. But if that seems too daunting, go find a church that you can fully believe in their mission and their ministry. Because if you had a proper vision of what God wants to do for his kingdom, you would want to support that. So we know a lot of you give and a lot of you do give generously and a lot of you do give sacrificially and we thank you for that. So that part of the message is just for certain people, just like so many other things. But I think the questions you could ask yourself is, are are my offerings, my giving, is it sacrificial? We think of Mark 12 and the widow's might. We have, we have a a man over here giving a a, a chunk of money, but it didn't cost him anything because he had. And yet you had the widow who barely had anything giving sacrificially and generously. That was in Mark 12. Is your offering gen, uh, generous? There were so many passages on that uh, um, that you, you know, we could have shared this morning. Um, 2 Corinthians 9, 7 is one that, that just pops into my mind. Uh, if you want to go into some of those, if you want more of those, I can send those to you. But God has called us to be good stewards of what he has given to us. And so that would be my challenge for you today. What you do with your money matters to him because he is giving you that as a blessing from God. Give from your first fruits. Give and then take care of yourself and pay your bills. These are things that we continue to see in God's words and he will provide your needs. So some of you might be sitting out there and saying, well, what's my barrier uh, for me to give? What, what, what are things that maybe I'm struggling with that I don't believe yet? Some of you may not be convinced that everything you have is his. And so, again, I would pray about that. Is, is Pastor Mark off base saying that everything I have is yours, God? Or is that biblical? Is that true? Maybe it's easy for you to give whatever you have decided between you and God to give on a Sunday or monthly. And so God's challenging you today to be a generous giver. What does that look like? That's a fun place to go as a believer. How do you want to stretch me, God? Maybe you're like me and really the pastor sitting around the table this week. We're like, what could we sacrifice out of our own life to have more money to put towards kingdom purposes? So again, these are all questions that you may want to ask the Lord this week. How can I demonstrate that I am a good steward of your money? One of the things that I've said, and it's concepts that I've gotten from other people, but if you get control of, and we'll just use the 90-10, if you get control of the 90% in your life, and you live within that in a great way, you're going to find freedom in that. And you're going to feel the joy 
of being able to give not only to the church, but to other ministries. That's something I truly believe. It's something as a church we want to offer to, to help you to get there. If God is calling you to be a giver, a generous giver, stretching you in ways that you maybe have never been stretched before, we're willing to help you. We're willing to meet with you. We're willing to put you in contact with people who are wise in the areas of finances. Don't let this week go without making steps towards who God has called you to be. Let's pray real quick.